Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Wyatt Jenkins. How you guys doing? Just ate lunch? All right. This is the way we think about growth at Shutterstock. This quote up here. We're hyper-focused on growth. Um, and in our mind, it's, it's really just a, se a series of experiments. That's kind of the, the bottom line for us at Shutterstock. And um, one of the things I hope to do today is make all of you guys better at testing and better at experiments. That's the one thing I hope you walk away from uh, after this talk. So there's a few sections that I'll go through and I'll try to gauge people's you know, interest and, and fly through the parts. But we're going to start with why testing is important. That's the first section. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about some tests. So we're going to go further and further into detail to actual few tests to see how we did it and the thinking behind the tests. And then we're actually going to back out and we're going to think about, we're going to talk about experimentation culture and what it means for the culture of the company at a high level. So we'll start high level, we'll go deep, and we'll come back high level. At the end, you're going to be better at testing. So we test everything at Shutterstock. Um, this is just, it's in our blood. Um, we, we, have a, we have a testing culture. And it didn't start that way. It's, it's been something that's grown a lot over the last few years. Um, myself and a few other people that work at Shutterstock have gotten the opportunity to go meet with some of the best testing companies in the world and learn from them and try our own things. And I hope some of the stuff we share is really helpful to you too. Um, a little bit about me. I am the head of product at Shutterstock. Um, prior to this, I was a DJ for a lot of years where I was not doing testing. And then I started a company for DJs, Beatport. I don't know if anyone heard of that. Um, and then I left Beatport and I went to Shutterstock in 2009. So those are the only things I've done. Three, three things on my resume. Um, but now at Shutterstock, we've got um, what I think is a pretty good organization that's become efficient and excellent at testing um, and at testing hypotheses. We actually have a few startups within the organization right now. We have two. We have Offset and we have Skillfeed. Uh, Skillfeed is an e-learning platform, and Offset is a, premier, um, is, a, is a premier image platform, both of which are startups within the larger company, Shutterstock. So I'm going to start. Why is testing important? Well, the way we think about testing is that data is our competitive advantage. This is the thing that we have over other companies. Um, let me go into detail a little bit about that. Now, I'm talking about web here, um, although I have done some manufacturing in the past, um, and I think there are things you can learn from experimentation on the web that you can take back to manufacturing, but I'm going to talk about the web. And on the web and, and in apps, your product is just a bunch of interactions. That's the only way we like to think about the product. Yes, we have images, and those images have rights. Um, and yes, we have video, and we have vectors, and we have illustrations, but at the end of the day, our product is just data. That's all we're talking about. And the more data we have, the more experiments we can run. So, um, 
And how does that, I mean, pragmatically, how does that line up? Well, the more experiments we can run uh, and the more traffic we have as we get this thing working, uh, the, the faster we can get confidence on test results. So for example, if we're able to run 10 tests and our competitor can only run two tests, well, within 10 tests, we're going to have three or four more wins than our competitor. And that just gains velocity over time. So that's the way we think about data at our company. And that's why we're obsessive about tracking data, storing data, and using data to make better and better tests all the time. We, we collect a lot of data, over a terabyte a day. Right now, we're averaging about three downloads a second. Um, and unlike a lot of other places on the web, we, we're also a subscription product, right? So we have tons of usage. We have people that spend hours and hours and hours on our site every day, um, just looking through imagery. Tons of data. And we're using that data all the time to power better algorithms, better search algorithms, more relevant, more popular, different search algorithms in different languages. We'll go into a bit of that here soon. So that's why we think testing is so important, because data is our competitive advantage. And the more data we have, the better testing we can do. Let's go into some pragmatic A-B testing stuff. Some of this will be review for a few of you. Um, some of it will be new. But I'll try to get through the easy stuff and go a little deeper. Um, obviously, there's, we'll go through a few different types of tests. We have A-B tests. This is where you look at A or you look at B. Um, we have what we like to call smoke tests. And smoke tests are interesting because um, a lot of times you're testing something to see which thing wins. And other times, you're testing things to not lose. And that's a little different way of thinking about testing, right? I mean, sometimes you have a strategic initiative that you want to launch. I, you know, this is a direction we're headed as an organization. We've decided this. But you don't want to launch it in a way that suppresses conversion, so you're doing a smoke test. The etymology of smoke tests is something from electrical engineering where you would plug in a radio, and if smoke happened, then you did something wrong in, in the wiring. So that's the etymology of a smoke test. But we run those often, and I'll show you how we do confidence on smoke tests versus um, regular A, B, and multivariate tests in a few slides. And of course, we do multivariate testing quite a bit. And we have some interesting thoughts around how we at least should do multivariate testing, but um, hopefully some of that's interesting to you guys. So those are the three general types of tests we do. There's more flavors than that, but, but most things fall into those categories. Um, the next slide I want to talk about when it comes to tips and types is, uh, this is this is a really interesting conversation we had internally as a company, and one that I would suggest, regardless of whether you're a big company or a small company, you should have. Because there is a scale between brand and optimization that you should decide as an organization that you're on, and, and where your product is in its life cycle. Maybe it's very young, and you don't know what it is yet, and you're just in the optimization phase. You, there's no brand. There's nothing to talk about here. We're just testing to figure out what it is, right? You're, in the, you're easily open to pivots. You're, you're in that early phase where whatever, you know, try everything. But then there's other things where you know, you've got a loyal customer base who uses your product a lot. You don't want to just change their experience every five minutes because it's disruptive. So you want to think about the brand of your product. And I, so an important conversation for us internally at Shutterstock when we went from what we were I came there in 2009, so I can't describe things before that. But to what we became, a testing culture, is we decided where we were on the spectrum of brand versus optimization. So you can see here, uh, you know, on the far left, you've got stories of Google testing 42 colors of blue. 
Um, everyone's, everyone's heard of that one. And on the far right, you know, you've got things like Nike and Apple, which obviously are extremely brand-centric. We've got a couple different brands at Shutterstock, as I mentioned, and actually even between those brands that we own, they're, they're on different parts in the scale. Uh, an offset, we're very cautious with the user experience. You know, we're selling $750 images that are designed to be the cover photo of a magazine or a book, and those types of customers don't want a new experience all the time. All the way down to our value play, Big Stock, where we try all kinds of stuff. Big Stock is like a, we just, it, anything goes. We'll test crazy stuff. Um, it's kind of fun. But one thing I would suggest is to have this conversation and have it cross-departmentally if you're a larger organization, right? Have your marketers and your product people and your tech people get on the same page about where you sit here and what that means for you. You know, people talk about brand guidelines and they talk about how, you know, the colors, links are supposed to be. How much of that is off limits? Because over here on the optimization side, you know, you have companies that would test their logo if it made more money completely changing the colors and the logo and everything. So you should decide where you, where you are in this scale. Another thing that's an interesting tip about testing are the way you build your teams. And you can do this as a startup or you can do it as a bigger company. Most of the teams we have at Shutterstock that are involved heavily in conversion and testing are very small. Three-person teams. There's only a couple of things we need on a testing team. We need an engineer. Somebody can push the code live. We need a designer, usually somebody who's a bit of a unicorn who can do a little front-end code and also do some design. And we need an analyst. And sometimes we call that person a product person. Sometimes we call them a business analyst. We call them lots of things. But it's a person who can look at test results and read them. So they have to be somewhat quantitative. They have to be able to do analysis. But that's all you need is those three. So keep your testing team small. There's no need for much more than that. I would say three people is good. Um, we have a few of them that are little three-person testing teams. And with those testing teams, we just focus them on a single metric. We'll say, okay, you're doing conversion in this part of the funnel. Go ahead and that, head that direction. Um, another thing you'll have to learn when you're managing testing teams is to have very few handoffs. It moves too slow. You can't have to... If, you ha if your engineering team who's doing testing has to go to marketing to get a design every time, like you've already lost, you need to keep that team small and keep it autonomous. Um, if you have to, and on, the, on the other side of the analysis, if your testing team has to go to a BI department to get a read on the test, you've already lost. Keep all that in, inside, no handoffs. They'll keep the team fast and they'll keep you running experiments quickly. Um, another thing you'll have to learn about testing, you have to let go of your, your process a little bit. We were um, very agile uh, at Shutterstock um, four years ago. Um, and Agile's great, and we love it for lots of different reasons, but it also can be heavy. A lot of our testing teams are, you know, there's no sprints anymore. We just, that stuff was heavy and unnecessary. There's no release plans. It was just a list of tests that we are going to run in succession. That's it. Um, so that was the entire process, and it works really well. So we had to let go of some of our notions about what process we should be using to really have effective testing teams. Another point on this one, uh, metrics-driven. You've got to choose one. You've got to focus that team. If you're choosing the design that they're going to launch, you've already lost. Choose the metric that they're trying to hit. Let them design 50 things. 
So think about it in terms of metrics, not in terms of actually fighting over where the pixels are going to go and what it's going to say on there. Um, another point about your teams. This is, kind of, this is kind of a lot on this slide. I should have broke it up. Uh, your data has to be highly accessible. Your data can't be locked in this part over here of the organization over here and the, the database team can only have access to that or whatever. You need to have this data accessible because you need multiple eyes on it. You need people who are creative to look at it. You need people who are quantitative to look at it. You need engineers to look at it. Make your data accessible. And the last thing I'll say is decentralize your decision making. If you're, gonna, if you're making decisions about what to launch up, up in, a, in a meeting behind closed doors, you're moving too slow. Push that out. Let, let, let the teams run. Um, let them test whatever. They're good people. They want to do what's right for the company. Just give them a metric and set them on their way. My last tip for uh, testing before we actually move on to a few testing lessons. Um, This is the life cycle of hypothesis creation that you're looking at. So we use qualitative to generate hypotheses, and we use quantitative to validate hypotheses. And from the quantitative, we usually end up with more hypotheses. And this is the cycle of creating tests. We have big lists of things we want to test in the organization. But Idea generation is great, right? I mean, getting in front of customers and, and hearing and empathizing and learning what it is they want, that's how you get your list of ideas of things to test. That's how we do anyway. Um, there are companies and teams I know about who actually use, uh, who use dating books to, to get, generate hypotheses about testing ideas. That's right, because the way people choose a partner is very similar to the psychology of how they choose a product. So if you can get behind the psychology, the qualitative psychology of how people make choices, you're going to have better tests. Okay, moving on. And at the end of this, um, I'm going to try to cut it with about eight minutes to spare. So if you guys have questions, save it up for then, and we'll go through them at the end. So this next section, what we're going to do now is we're going to go deeper and deeper into a few uh, more concrete examples that I hope are helpful to you guys as you go out and experiment. Um, one of the things I mentioned earlier is there are times when we want to launch something strategic, and there are times when we want to launch something that simply moves a metric. Um, and those are different, and we have different ways of reading those tests. So sometimes you have a new, let's say, feature that you want to put on your website that you know customers are really going to dig. That could be strategic, and you just want to not lose. When it comes to a revenue test, like a pricing page, I only launch things that win. There's no point in launching something that's flat or down. Only a winner. If it doesn't actually move the needle on revenue, I'm not gonna, there's no point in putting it out. But sometimes it's a feature, and a feature that we've heard that customers love, so flat is okay. And for that reason, we measure our tests, and we measure confidence on all three of those. So when you look at a read, like I have up here, we're going to do a confidence on the flat win and lose. So in this example, you have um, you know, one redesign that's clearly a loser. But down there on the third row, you have a redesign that's clearly flat. If it's a strategic decision, I'll take flat. That's great. I'll take flat to up. 
I just won't take down. But if it's a but if it's just a loss, then um, I wouldn't take it at all. So we do confidence on flat win or lose, which I think is different. And most people are just win loss. But I think flat is something interesting to understand about your tests. Another lesson important for us, we used to try to measure the dollar value of tests because it's a fun number to have. It's really fun when you're talking to, uh, whether you're going to talk to a VC or you're talking to a board or whatever, it's really fun to talk about, I made X amount of dollars in this A-B test. That's great. Over the long term, it's not a very reliable metric um, because the act, what's actually going to happen when you release the test into the entire pool is oftentimes somewhat different than what happened in that A-B cell because there's just more traffic and there's seasonality and there's lots of things about it. So we stopped measuring how much money that we make on A-B tests. And instead we went straight for volume because one metric that did stay very flat for us was the number of wins. So roughly 33% or so of our tests won. That was, a, that was a pretty steady ratio over very long periods of time. So there we go, that's crazy that it, turns back on and off. Um, so, you know, for Shutterstock, we think progress is going from hundreds of tests to thousands of tests. This year, we're going to run hundreds of tests. Next year, we're going to run thousands of tests. And I know it's going to make us a lot more money and grow the company, but I can't measure exactly how much, and that's okay. I'll tell you the downside of this. Sometimes you'll have a testing team that is really into figuring out exactly how much money they made with an A-B test, and so they'll let it sit there and wait for confidence to gain. And sometimes it'll take like a month. That's a month you didn't have a test live in the environment. And that's not helpful, right? I mean, as soon as you know you have a win, whether it's 2% or 8%, you have a win. Screw it. Push it to production. And that's why we measure testing teams against the volume of tests instead of against the actual dollar value. Here's a few lessons that I wish I knew when I started doing a lot of A-B testing. Leave your design principles at the door. I know there's some really amazing user experience people in this room right now who have some very dogmatic design principles. And thank, thank you for being you. And that's awesome. But it really doesn't have much of a place in some of your experimentations. Because some things that make no sense from a usability perspective win. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Some of our best, best, best designers, some of the ones I have the utmost respect for, I put on new product teams to build a completely new thing. I don't put them on iterative conversion teams where we're changing colors and pixels. You know what I mean? Because it just feels like a better fit. Another one thing, I think you've probably heard this a million times, test small changes. There's nothing more disheartening than spending a month building a test with like five or 10 changes and then the test losing because you don't know why it lost. If you change 10 variables on a page, and then you launch the page, and it loses, you don't have any idea why it lost. So you've learned nothing. You've wasted your time. So my suggestion is to test very tiny changes in each cell and do a multivariate. And if you want to take a big swing, add that on the end. But don't just take the big swing, because when it loses, you won't know why it lost. Don't forget about performance. We've had tests that lose because the page load took an extra half a second because the images were a lot bigger, 
But it was actually a great design. It was a winning design. It's just we weren't looking at performance as a metric, the actual page load time. So you've got to have performance as one of your metrics if you're launching an A-B test. Um, another one, and we've talked about this already a little bit about testing strategy. It's hard to test strategy. Sometimes you've got to use your gut. You can't rely on data for everything. It's hard to test strategy. And my last point, which I wish I would have known, uh, is retesting ideas. There's some great ideas that get one loss and you never see them again. But there's too many factors like seasonality and all kinds of other things that get, that get thrown in the mix. A lot of your tests that lost a year ago may win today. So keep track of your losing tests. Keep a backlog of them somewhere. Go back and try things out. My last lesson before we go into an actual example, a few examples, um, metrics. Right now you're looking at one of our tools and you probably can't see it very well, but this tool right here uh, is absinthe. This is something we'll talk about in a future slide, but as you can see, we've chosen one metric when we launched the test, but we viewed many. We built this tool internally because we wanted to have every single metric that means a lot to our business available for every single test. So metrics, choose one, view many. Because most of the time you're going to launch something and the metric you wanted to move isn't going to move, but something else is somewhere else. And you can learn from that if you're watching it. So I mentioned before about our tools. Um, there are great stuff out there. We use Optimizely. We use all kinds of things. Um, but most tools over the last four years, we found their boundaries. We found where they couldn't work for us anymore. So we ended up building a lot of stuff ourselves. Um, so I'll go through a few of those things. You know, as a startup, for those of you that are like in a small startup, you don't have this option. Um, a lot of times you just don't have time to go build your own A-B testing platform. But um, as you scale, keep your data. <laughs> this, is, this is your competitive advantage. And if that means you're going to have to build some of your own tools to scale, I, I would suggest it. It worked for us. Um, so we have event collection. A lot of this is open source, by the way. You can go to code.shutterstock.com, and most of our stuff is open source. We're a big fan of the open source community. We build stuff and try to share it with folks whenever we can. This is open source, DevEnt. This is an event collector. Um, little Brother. This is our click tracking. Um, and you're seeing a visualization of Little Brother here. So when we run A-B tests, we can, of course, see the heat maps and see where people are uh, clicking in different areas. This is on code.sharsock.com. Um, this is not, this is our homegrown A-B testing platform. It's called Absinthe. Um, and Absinthe is great. It lets us test the entire stack. Um, a lot of A-B testing tools that you're going to use, um, they can go, you know, they can do the JavaScript and they can do some of the pages. But, they, but when you start to talk about testing, you know, this search algorithm with this morphological analysis tool, with this pet pricing page, you know, you've got four or five or six different core structures within your website or within your property, you're going to have to build a more robust system. So we did, and it's called Absinthe, and it's awesome. And it comes out of the box with, um, I'd say, 30 or 40 of our key business metrics that you get to see with every test. So if you're into this stuff like we are, do that. Um, and then our last tool that I'm going to talk about, although we have more, um, is one of my favorites. It's called DataViz. And this is built on Rickshaw. 
Rickshaw is an open source JavaScript tool that lets you visualize data. So any engineer or, or anyone who can code a little bit even can take data sets and put them up in Rickshaw, put them on a web page, and show them to anyone else in the company. So what else is cool about Rickshaw? You can change the trend lines. You can uh, annotate when you did product releases. Uh, and people can comment on it. So not only are you running tests, but you've got lots of different smart people around the company commenting on what happened in that test. It's pretty cool because sometimes you have the CEO like, what happened here, blah, blah, blah. And then an engineer responds like, oh, we did this, 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 and push code. So you actually have like this social curation of hypothesis creation around tests thanks to uh, this tool, which is pretty cool. So um, Dataviz uh, is built on Rickshaw. You guys can go use that if you want. This is the section where we get into a few tests. And there's some fun ones in here. So, I know this is hard to see. Guess which one of these pages made a significant contribution to our revenue in 2013? They're just about identical. Yeah, it's just a headline test. Yeah, that's it. This was one of the biggest winners of the entire year. It is one line of copy. So I think the point there is small changes matter. Small changes really matter. We've had tests with a, where we just clicked a box. We pre-clicked the box for the user prior to the test that made more money than you know, 15-cell multivariate tests. You know, it's, it's crazy, the stuff that wins. That's why you just, just test everything, because you don't know. Oh, sorry about that. I, I, I apologize. Uh, yeah, the amazing royalty-free images, simple pricing. That one won. That one won on Mixshift big time and a little bit on conversion. But it was Mixshift to a different product type. So we were upselling people more to the subscription. Uh, because I think of the word amazing. They're like, oh, wow, this stuff's amazing. So I should get a subscription. So I have lots, lots of access to lots of amazing images. That's, it's a, we've used that copy other places and seen the same results. So that's why I kind of have a pretty good hypothesis about why that won. Um, Another one, uh, everybody's got, well, a lot of websites have a little window that pops up and annoys you when you're trying to do stuff on their website that asks you to log in and be a user. We have one too. It creates a lot of browse accounts for us, uh, browse accounts, you know, free accounts that we can later convert. We lost a lot of money on this test, <laughs> uh, an embarrassing amount of money on this test. We actually went out with the test in a, much, in a pretty large cell. I think it was maybe a 15 or 20% cell. Um, and it, was, it stung. Um, so it turns out what you've got here, uh, you guys, you can't see it as well as I'd like. Uh, what you have here, on one side, the right side, you have the original, the control. That's the control cell. And the other side, you have the test. Our thinking was, if... If you look closely on the right side, you can create an account right there. You don't have to go to a separate page to create an account. On the old version, you actually click and you go to a separate page and you create your account. Our thinking was by being able to create accounts right there in the browse modal, we would get a lot more people. We did. Browse conversion went through the roof, but revenue went way down. <laughs> it tanked. And the reason why revenue tanked is uh, uh, a lot of people were using this browse modal to log in. That's the problem. And because we chose to ask them to convert on this page instead of simply log in, 
they weren't logged in. They would maybe dismiss the window. And it turns out when users are logged in, they have a much higher rate of converting once they hit a pricing page. So a big, huge population of our customers weren't logged in because we were pushing this browse conversion cell. And then when they hit the pricing page, they weren't converting on there. So we lost a ton of money, got a bunch of brand new users, got our butt kicked. I talked a little bit before about iteration and testing small changes. There's a thing that can happen if you take that too far. If you only test small changes, you'll never take a big swing. And sometimes teams get obsessed with it. I've seen it happen. You'll have testing teams that just, they're just making money like a machine because they're just testing every link color and everything and where they put the cursor in the field and you know, checking boxes, unchecking boxes, and they're just running these like 20-cell multivariate tests. But they, at the end, you look back in a year and like nothing has changed. Like you look at the page and nothing's really happened. So we've actually had to make it a conscious effort to ask the people like, just take a big swing, like purposefully. Just even if it's one cell out of like five, take a big swing to see if we can actually move the entire design UX in a new direction. So it's a mix. What I'm suggesting is when you run tests, do a mix of very small changes with a big swing. Your big swings aren't going to win very often. Very rarely will they win, but when they do, that's really exciting. You may have actually changed the game a bit. So here you can see home pages. You got the left and the right ones are very similar. Um, it's a little hard to see, but you know, you've got different sized images and you've got some different editorial in those, but they're basically the same. But then you have a bigger swing in the middle. This is a more typical test that we'll do, a multivariate, where we'll see one big swing, lots of little, little changes. The little changes are so important because those are the ones where you learn. Those are the ones where you learn what you can design. Because you're like, oh, this font converts better. Then you know when you take a bigger swing to use that font. You know, you can learn all those little things with the iterative stuff before you take big swings. We went with the middle one on flat because strategically we wanted to take the user experience in a different direction. It was flat, didn't make us any more money. But the direction we wanted to take the entire site, that, that encompassed that direction, that encompassed the design elements that strategically we wanted to do, and that's important. So we've decided where we sit on that brand versus optimization scale, right? And we decided that we're going this direction from a visual perspective. So we took the flat cell. Even though we had an iterative cell that was slightly up in conversion, we said, nah, let's go with the flat and let's go with the strategy in this. I'm not going to go through all these. I'm going through visual examples so we can have a conversation about it. But we do lots of cool tests. Uh, we do tests around linguistics. We're in 20 languages, Shutterstock. And each language has its own index. And each index has its own uh, nuances to the way we do ranking. Um, you know, if you search for a beer in Australia and London and the US, you're going to get different results. Because those different indexes weight local content differently. And there's hundreds of tests going on all the time to make sure relevance works that way in different parts of the world. Um, we have different localized experiences we're always testing. Our site looks very different depending on where in the world you are. Um, we test uh, marketing, you know, of course, we test where we get our traffic from and how, what pages they land on. That's been really successful for us. Um, we also test how we get contributors. Shutterstock is a two-sided marketplace where we have photographers, you know, giving us content. 
and we test converting those as well. So we test lots of things. Um, it's kind of permeated the entire culture. Okay, now we're going to go with my, uh, one of my favorite examples. And we'll go a little deeper, and then we'll back out to culture. So this is our search grid. There's a ton of traffic on this page. Um, this is where everything happens. We take users, we convert them from Google or wherever, and they hit this grid. This is where they scan images and find something that they really like. This is where they fall in love with something. And we had our labs environment. We have a labs environment where we experiment on behalf of users. And in our labs environment, we, use this, uh, we had this mosaic grid for years. We love the mosaic. Uh, it looks like this. So we've had this up there for years, and we wanted to take it back to the main site. These are pretty popular now. These aren't like rocket science. But for us, for a conversion company that spends a lot of money marketing and getting customers to come to the site, these are big changes. So this was what we tested. Um, and I'll show you a few of the things. We tested lots of different little variations. Um, so we tested the thumbnail size. We had 175, 200, 250, 300. We tested the hover. So when your mouse hovers on an image, what do we display? We tested the hover over on top of the image. We tested the hover below the image. Um, we also tested watermarks and what those did to the cells. So you can see how it looks differently depending on where you go. So here's the control. And here's the first cell. And here's the last cell. You, so you can kind of see, I'm not going to show you all the cells, but you get a, the flavor of the test that ran. So here's, uh, here's the results. Um, this isn't as interesting as the next slide, but what you do see is all the different variations. 175, 200, 250, 300. We also had a responsive version where we actually scaled up differently depending on where, what size your browser was. So we had a responsive version of the cell that actually showed 175 on really small viewport sizes and showed the 300 pixel images on bigger viewport sizes. Um, so this is cool. This is the correlation between image size and conversion across all the different test cells. And then you can tell there's a very high correlation. Turns out when people are searching, pixels mean a lot. The way I talk about it is it's like on Amazon when you're searching for a product, and if you see the price of the product, and you see the skew of the product, and you see the reviews of the product, that's the information you need to make a decision about that product. The same thing on Shutterstock, but for images. The more pixels you can see, the more information you have to make a decision on that product. And this test result proves that hypothesis. So as we scaled up the image sizes and the mosaic grid, you see a correlation to conversion. Another really interesting correlation we saw on this test was the speed at which it gets people to the pick page. The pick page is, so you're looking at a bunch of search results, you click, and you come to the pick page. That's a page with just a single image on it with more information about it. And what you see here is that in the mosaic, every single cell gets people to the pick page faster at different rates. But what's happening is the mosaic grid, the way the mosaic lines up the images, is actually getting people to do their jobs faster, which is really cool. So if you look back at the control, now you look at it with different eyes, right? You're like, OK, well, with all that white space, there's a lot less target for your mouse to click on. That's interesting. And you know, the images look, you know, they look a little, like it's hard to scan. The scannability isn't very good. People actually get deeper in the rows because they can scan faster in a mosaic grid. So you can see the correlation, and you can see how this test result won. 
It's one of my favorite tests. That was a good one to run. I think it was a 10-cell multivariate. That's it for the details. Although, in questions, I'm happy to go deeper into any details that you guys want to talk about. Um, the last thing I want to end on is an experimentation culture, because it's something I'm proud of, and I'm, it makes me love coming to work every day, because we have an experimentation culture. It didn't happen overnight, but it, it, it's happening now, and it's really cool. Um, what does an experimentation culture mean? It means that everybody is enabled. You know, you have people who come in, they have an idea, and they launch it to production that day. That's a good place to be. I have an idea, I built it, and I put it into prod. Yes, that makes me happy. I didn't have to do a PowerPoint presentation about it. Ugh. I didn't have to go ask a bunch of people. I just had an idea and I launched it. And that feels good. And it, it's because the decision making has been pushed out to all the product teams, they just are running tests all the time. Every day I come into work and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And people are like, oh, we did this thing. It's really cool. We made a lot of money. Oh, great. You guys heard of a hippo? I'm sure you've heard this acronym before, highest paid person's opinion. You know, when you're sitting in a room full of people and you're debating something, everyone's getting all passionate. Everyone thinks they have the right idea. My idea is better than your idea. My idea is better than your idea. Doesn't work in experimentation culture. So a hippo is the highest paid person's opinion. That means that you're having a conversation about something and the CEO or whoever the, makes the most money weighs in and then the conversation's over. Oh, the CEO said that we're doing this. So you're not going to do it. Experimentation culture doesn't work that way. I'm often the hippo, or, or John, the, the founder, and we're like, hey, guys, we have this really cool idea, and they're like, cool, we'll test it. Conversation's over. <laughs> it's a hippo killer. There's no more hippos in our company. It doesn't even work. In fact, uh, <laughs> it almost goes the other direction. I would say it's a completely humbling thing to the entire executive team, because the second an idea rolls out, people are like, oh, cool, we'll test that. Bam. And the next day, that lost. Cool. <laughs> so it, it really, I love, I love that about the culture. It's, it just flattens it out. More ideas see daylight in this type of a culture. Lots of ideas see the daylight. This is a visually related searches. So as you type a query, we show you lots of other cool things that you could go search for, related searches. We use co-occurrence to do it, and we have lots of different flavors of co-occurrence. But... This isn't something we planned. This isn't something we did any presentations about. This isn't something, this is just something that some guy, a really smart engineer, hacked together one day and put on the website with 1% of traffic, and then it made a bunch of money, and we're like, okay, cool, that's great, we should do that. And we have lots of these features on Shutterstock and on all of our different properties. But it only works in experimentation culture. We have hackathons, those are awesome, because in experimentation culture, when you have a testing platform that everybody can use, hackathon ideas go from idea to live in a hackathon, which is so cool. You learn what to design. This is another really important thing about experimentation culture. There are, like I said, you know, people have this grand vision about the way things have to be, but in experimentation culture, you can try little, little aspects of the design and you can test your way into figuring out what the grand vision is going to be. You don't have to have it all up front. And there's one last thing I want to end with in terms of culture. Um, and it's important. And I'm stealing this slide from a really smart guy named Joshua Porter, um, who did this presentation, I think, in 2012. But it's so important with testing. You have to know what it's for and what it's not for. That's so important. That's, a, that's one takeaway. You're not going to test your way to that next hill over there. 
It's just not going to happen. Testing is designed to optimize an existing product. But to jump, but to make a leap, you're still going to have to just have the guts and, you know, say we're going to go do it. So, um, to conclude, we believe testing is growth and that data is our competitive advantage. And uh, I hope that was helpful. Do we, have, do we have time for a couple questions, if there are any? Yes. Do we, oh, are there mic? I just randomly shot one that direction. Yes. Can you explain why you have labs if you're doing all these tests? I don't, I, I don't appreciate the difference. Yeah, so Shutterstock Labs is a place where we can try crazy stuff and try it fast. So in labs, we just anything, you know, like, like crazy ideas. You don't have to translate. It's only in English. It's only in one browser. We don't screw around with any of the Microsoft stuff. We just, it's like Chrome. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, and you can get it done quick. If anything, even an A-B test has to be translated into 20 languages, has to be, you know, well, sometimes we only do a single language if we're doing something localized. But, you know, there's a lot more weight um, to doing it in other areas. Plus, our customers are subscribers. I like, to say, um, I like to say that Shutterstock is like a marriage because customers are on there every day for hours a day. So we can't just change the interface, um, you know, wildly. So we do that with labs, and then we do more incremental tests on Shutterstock. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Cool. Hello? Think yes. Let's say we're forced to use a tool such as Optimizely because we don't have the budget to use something. Optimizely is great. You're, so you're in great hands. What were the biggest um, you know, restrictions or limitations to that tool? Well, for us, um, you know what? It, it can probably do anything now. It's actually been a year or two since we used it. We still use it. Parts of our organization use it. But a lot of our tests, especially around search, um, it just, uh, we were doing different indexes uh, using Solar Cloud, and it was really complicated to use Optimizely for that. If you're doing page tests, like this page versus that page, Optimizely is amazing and wonderful and a great tool, and there's lots of other ones out there too. But if you're doing full stack tests where you've got different experiences completely, all the way from the pricing page to the search grid to the algorithm, uh, I, that's the point at which we just couldn't use any more off-the-shelf tools. Plus, we were also using our own data tracking. And that was something we had a hard time figuring out how to use uh, with third-party tools. Yes? Hi. I have a follow-on question to what he was asking. So are all your tests in the labs environment, or do you do also on the production level? The labs environment, we don't actually do very many A-B tests. The labs environment is where we just put something out. Because it says labs, and customers' expectation is that, oh, this is a labs area. It's going to be experimental, and shit may break. That's what labs is for, stuff that may break. Stuff that's an A-B test, it, you know, generally doesn't break. And it generally is something that we're, uh, we have a lot more metrics around. Labs is great to actually do customer development. For example, let's try this out, and then let's go qualitatively talk to 10 customers about how they're, they like it and how they use it. So let's say you're doing your, all your A-B tests on the production, correct? So all the tests which don't work, and so you are not going to use that particular variation, what happens to all that code? Like, is it still in your production code, or do you take it out? Or no, we're pretty good about deleting it. Okay, and like because you mentioned that sometimes a test may fail today, and you may bring it back later. Mm -hmm. So, 
how do you manage that whole process, like when you're deleting it all? If we're going to bring it back, we'll rewrite it. Because too many of the elements of our environment have changed. So even though the test may have been written a year ago, if, you, if, you, if, it, if it's dormant and then you try to re-release it, probably five other things don't work. Um, so. so could you give a little advice in terms of uh, when you have a win, is your intuition, like for instance the headline that you showed, mm -hmm. is your intuition, okay, we have an area that will move the needle, let's try five more headlines that don't say amazing, they say fantastic? Yep. Or do you say diminishing returns, time to move on to something else? We almost always retest. We almost always retest. But that, after that headline, we figured out those words, and then we tried like seven different variations of those words. I really have to wrap up. This is going to be the last question. Great. Um, I just, that was a fantastic presentation. Thanks. Uh, one of the things that we struggle with is aggregating the knowledge of our tests over time, especially. So mm. that we're, you say retest things, but um, between teams, how do we put that knowledge, we use a wiki, an internal wiki, but it's sometimes insufficient, so I'd like to hear what you do. Well, the DataViz tool is awesome for that, and that's why we built it, but we also use a wiki, and we have a weekly metrics meeting where we show all the product teams, because we have 14 product teams, so all the product teams get together and they say, these are the things we tested, these are the things we learned, and people poke holes at it and say, oh, I think you're full of it, or you know, I think you should retest this. But we, we do a lot of work to make sure that data is um, easily accessible in the wiki and in DataViz. Guys, uh, that's it. I'm being told to shut up, and I'm going to do so. Um, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. <laughs>